Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 30 of the Kameno Voice. On this episode, I speak to old-time Kameno folk. Please welcome Jim Joyce and Vince Muscolo. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kameno Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Kameno Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, Subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kameno Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, on this episode, I got to speak with Jim and Vince, who are both uh, old-time Kameno folk. Uh, they, uh, Jim moved up here in the 1950s and um, Vince shortly thereafter. And they just had some, some great stories of what Kameno was like way back in the old days. So um, it's kind of the equivalent of when you, you just start talking to some people that have just been there, um, just older folk that have um, so many stories to tell. And so the pattern of this, I, I basically, for this interview, I just asked them a couple leading questions. And then I sat back and listened and just really enjoyed um, hearing the great stories they had to share. So I hope you guys really enjoy hearing about what Kamena was like before it had electricity and power uh, those are the same thing, uh, running water, any of those things. And before the island had really been touched at all by uh, civilization, it seems like. So anyways, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jim and Vince. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kameno Voice. Today, I'm here with Vince Muscolo and Jim Joyce, um, old-time Kameno folk. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, easy on the old-time thing, <laughs> please. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> well, before we hit record, you. Uh, you guys were kind of jumping into a story about how you guys met. Um, why don't we just start there? Great. Go ahead, Jim. I think you started. Uh, well, yeah. I, my parents moved up here in 1947 when I was just about three. And back then, there was nobody around, absolutely no other families around, no kids around. And it was just one day... Um, I'm guessing maybe 48. We were just talking about that, maybe 49 at the latest. Uh, I looked up, and, and there was this kid that walked through the woods, and I'd never seen that happen before. <laughs> and uh, and so we just started talking, and, and Vince used to come up. He was the summertime, and, and in all reality, because there was nobody around, uh, that was the thing I always looked forward to because... Wait, I thought it was because you liked this. <laughs> well, that too. Jeez, well, really? <laughs> I, I like the dry salami your dad bought. I mean, was that? He, I mean they always yeah, bought dry had... salami. My parents never had that stuff. Yeah, I think we introduced a few things that was new. Yeah. But, the, you know, you, you talk about coming through the woods as if it was a little oh, thing. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's it right. It was not a little thing. <laughs> well, uh, we, we, we came to Camino Island from Seattle, and it was a place that we came on the weekends whenever we could, and then during the summer we came. Um, uh, I can get back to some dates and when, when that all started, but this particular day will live forever in my memory, <laughs> and if it gets out into the public, I'm sure it'll become even more famous than that. And it, it, it could be made into a movie. It went like, so I get up. And as Jim said, there were no other people around. There were no other houses along the road. There was no electrical power right. coming into any of the houses because there was no power lines. The trees yeah. all touched over the road, and it was. And we, lo I loved it. Yep. 
And so I'm out there and I'm, I hear this strange, oh, I hear this kind of a, a noise, somebody moving or talking or, and so I started to try to imitate a coyote. So I'm going, woo, 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 you know, like that. And this voice answers me with sort of a shrill sort of a response. And it's coming from the woods that were on what's on the north side of our property. Now property our property's all treed anyway, but then the the woods became you know, un, the untouched woods. And I'd been into the woods oh six, seven feet, you know, looking and exploring and like that, but nothing any further than that. So I went over the edge of the woods and I was barking and then I'd hear this response and then I'd go into the woods a little bit further and I'd hear this 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 kind of this shrill response again. And before you knew it, I was 20, 30 feet into the woods and uh, there was a bit of a game trail and I uh, kept kept going and yelling back and forth and I broke out into a clearing much as it was, there weren't too many clearings around, no. but there was a clearing, and and here was this other kid. I mean, another kid. This was the uh, Mott's was house was marvelous. still standing there, wasn't it? Yes, we, did, we didn't yeah. own the double lot then, yeah. so there was another cabin by ours that had a bearskin rug on the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, when that happened, as, as great a place as Camino Island was always to, to us for me to come up here and. Uh, on weekends and holidays, it became, you know, a lot more fun because Jim was up there and we would do all these things that that made Camino Island so so great. Now, when when we're saying house too, uh, that's nothing like the houses today. <laughs> it, it was basically when we moved up there. As Mint said, there was no electricity. We had no running water. It was basically a shack. It was about at most. Uh, 800 square feet maybe and it was just an open area a little kitchen had a sink and a wood stove even though there was no water they could plug it my mother could put water in there she'd boil her mouth and there were bunk beds and there was my two sisters and me and my mom and dad and then it took about three years my dad expanded it out to maybe a thousand square feet and a loft upstairs and then we finally got electricity and water, I guess, in the early 50s, around 50, 51. Okay. And then, and then finally, wow, there's a flushing toilet, that kind of <laughs> stuff that really looked cool. Uh, so so it's like you said, there wasn't anything. There was just trees and blackberry bushes and all kinds of maybe you could find somewhere where a deer had gone through and, and made a deal. But, but yeah, it was, it was quite different back then. Wow. Well, you know, our home... Our home was in Seattle, mm -hmm. and uh, we had the, we, the Camino Island was the special place. My my folks bought the piece of property there before I was before I was born. Okay. They bought the piece of property in 1938. Okay. And my dad and and my grandfather started building a cabin with with leftover lumber. They they bought all the framing lumber and part of the siding for $8.50 when they tore down the Grange Hall in Black Diamond. And, and they brought it up there and, and they built uh, just like it's a few hundred square feet with a wood stove and there was no electricity and I say no running water. Uh, and um, that we loved it. We, you know, other kids, you know, from Seattle, for example, would go there, they'd go to Mount Rainier, they'd 
they go to Yellowstone, uh, they go to the ocean. We don't want to go anywhere else. We wouldn't go to Camino. I mean, that's where the treehouse was. Yeah, the, the, tree the BB house. gun was there. The, the rowboat was there. The, you know, the bow and arrow you were working on was there. Why the heck would you want to go to, you know, Mount Rainier or Yellowstone Park, for heaven's sake? <laughs> Didn't have anything there. But, yeah. so. I used to remember looking over, finally, at times, you could look through the woods, and their light would be on on a Friday night. And this was going to be the best weekend I ever had because their light was on. I was probably over there about 7 o'clock so, in the morning, like opening up Christmas presents, and his dad would be out on the deck, you know, maybe shaving him. Hey, Jim, what's happening on Camino Island? You know, and here <laughs> I am, five, six years old. I haven't got a clue, but I'll tell him stories. <laughs> Just because, wow, so there's somebody that, asked me that was one of the, That was one of the things, Friday night. Friday night was, was the way we would arrive often. And most memorable for me is, is in the wintertime because it would be dark, and my dad would go in the house we wait in the car he'd go in the house and start the fire in the wood stove and light up the kerosene lanterns and this and that before the before electricity came but uh, and then we'd get in the house and sort of get settled and or just get in there my dad would say at some point wonder how long it'd be before jim gets here <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and sure enough he'd make it through the woods with the inevitable flashlight and whatever dog he had at the time so yeah, wow. yeah those are the fun times so you were living here full-time then Jim right okay right, right. Um, and you moved here and then how long were you living here on the island well we moved up here in and I don't know I've always wanted to look that up over at Coopville I do not know but I think my my parents purchased that lot probably pretty close to the same time in the early 40s mid 40s the latest even the world war was on though but my dad got a job with the Black Ball Ferry Line up at uh, Anacortes. That was the predecessor to the Washington State Ferries. Oh, and okay. so uh, we moved up here and, and then built from there. And we were here till about 1960. I, mean, I think we got electricity right around 51, something like that. And then the phone finally came through in 57, uh, a 16 party line, if you can believe that. And then. I think we finally got a television around 54 or 55. Two stations is all you had. So, I mean, that was it. If if you didn't go outside and do things, there was nothing to do. And and we spent a lot of times in the woods, running around, exploring, whatever, yep. with the BB guns, hunting for whatever, and then down to the beach. You know, we go down there. Uh, the fall was the smelt time, and that was the biggest fun and everything else. And, nice. Kids today would go, how boring! But, and I think that that was the most disappointing thing. Well, he's he's exactly right. He, it's not that there wasn't anything to do. There were lots of things to do, but uh, you know, maybe by today's standards, they they yeah. seem like you know, they don't seem that big. But as far as the rowboat on your own, and and we were on our own. It wasn't. Yeah. There weren't any. There weren't any parents hovering over us nope. you were you were sent out in the morning and you went in the woods and if you wanted to climb a tree cut down a tree shoot the bb gun uh row out in the boat uh that's that's what you did um, and that was the day when when disneyland first came out on their show so there was davy crockett and uh and all those kind of people so we play that or you go down uh, I don't know how many nails I went through, and I take a hammer, and there would be driftwood there, and you'd make a raft, and you go out and 
and there were rafts floating all over the place because we were pushing the rafts around and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, Jim said that uh, he was there because his father got the job with the ferries, and I remember that that he was on the ferry boats, mm-hmm. and and I think your uncle had, was on a was, he was a captain on a he was ferry coast guard. Boat, he was oh, Coast Guard. Coast Guard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, because I, re- I remember at one point going to see somebody on one of those boats. And, uh, and so that's what brought him there. Uh, we came, we're here, and I'm here today because of smelt. Okay. And uh, the way it worked is that my, my, my parents lived in, in Seattle, and, and, and near us was a, f- a fellow, uh, a very interesting gentleman named Otto Lehman of Lehman Road today. And uh, Otto was talked to my dad often about this piece of property he had on Camino Island where he had this dream of building a hunting and fishing lodge and bring people up from uh, Seattle and, uh, uh, or any place and, uh, and have this business out in, at the end of uh, civilization on Camino Island. So this was this so so uh, in the night it was 1938 that he finally talked my father into coming up to Camino Island. Okay. And it was a two and a half plus hour drive from from Seattle to get up here, and we, he came up what was East Camino, what eventually became East Camino Drive later on, and uh, sh- sh- uh, going uh, going south on East Camino Drive. Where Caballero Road is now, the road sort of petered out and became a logging road. Okay. But before you got there, there was the, he pointed at a chunk of woods. Says, at this point, Jim and Jim's family wasn't there either. No. Pointed at this piece of woods and said, "Well, here's lot number two, and this lot is available, and it was for sale for something like three hundred and fifty dollars. If if you were if he was interested, and it was a a little a little bit more than an acre. Part of it was on the." It was on the bluff, mm-hmm. and uh, and my dad and they and Otto said to my folks, and, he, and you get through the woods down to the bluff. There's a great view out there, so my dad and my mother started through the woods, and they, uh, my dad ended up getting a stick, and they were beating down brush, and we're walking down through this trail or this through the woods to get to the brush, and it was there was no trail. It was just <laughs> so, solid underbrush and woods. So they. They beat their way down there, and it had to be, well, it was three, four hundred feet. I mean, isn't it more than that? Yeah, Jim? yeah, probably. Like that. At least anyway, that, yeah. they end up getting toward the bo- toward the edge of the bluff, and it's a beautiful view, all right, when you can see it. But they were scratched up and mosquito bitten, and their clothes <laughs> were torn. And this, this is this is this is untenable. How do you? I mean, how would you even manage this? <laughs> so they've got all the way went all the way back to the car. And drove down the road to where Otto was in at the uh, right on Lehman Drive is now above where Driftwood Shore is now. And, and Otto was there, and my dad said, "Well, Otto, thanks for the invitation. This and that. Uh, uh, this is too much for us. It's too much of a trip. Um, it, uh, you know, it's a lot of work clearing up there. And you know, it looks like there might be a war coming on, and which would be difficult to to maybe get away and get." And this and that, and my auto said, "That's fine. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad you came anyway." And but don't don't leave. Auto said, "Don't leave right now. We're gonna go and catch some smelt." <coughs> what? What's a smelt? Oh, some smelt is some fish that come in down on the beach. It's 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 all right. Come on down. So my dad and my mother went down there, and sure enough, the smelt came in just like they were supposed to, and they raked smelt and they cooked smelt 
and they ate smelt, and the smelt came in some more, and they laughed, and they yelled, and they pointed, and they raked some more smelt. And at the end of all that, my dad said, you know, maybe this wouldn't be such a bad idea. It's, this is a lot of fun. And so uh, he talked to Otto about it, and Otto said, well, if you can give me $20 and $10 a month when you can afford it, um, I'll I'll sell you the piece of property, and that's yeah, yeah. and that's why I'm here today. Yeah, yeah and I, I you know, and I think I don't know how my dad met Otto, but that shack was what they called the duck shack. Okay. And the same thing, and there was one right next to that was owned by a guy named Louis Motts, and my dad and Motts and another friend of my dad would come up and go duck hunting down there in, in Triangle Cove and everything else, and they got pictures of all these ducks hanging on the deck where they'd come up for the weekend and do it. But that, that was primarily what this was for, yeah. And then it got into the smelt and all the other good stuff. Well, yeah, Driftwood Shores now, with mm -hmm. all those houses one after another, that spit of land that sticks out there, that was a famous duck hunting yeah. place. Oh, okay. Layman's and, Spit. Yeah, and they'd walk out there, and there would be ducks on both sides, and they'd fly back and forth. And... I remember when they built the first cabin there on the beach, mm -hmm. and that was a real interesting period too because they were really, uh, they, they were rustic, <laughs> you know that that yeah. Um, in those days, recreational property uh, for for the affluent that that whole concept didn't exist. Nope. No, when you went out to the country, you had to be made of sturder stuff. You had to be willing to. Uh, carry water, cut firewood, do without electricity, and this and that. So they built this first cabin down there, which now, when I realize where it is, it's it's only about halfway out the spit. And my okay. dad said it won't last the first winter. The first <laughs> storm will take the place out, and it just won't won't last. Well, it did last, and so there is Driftwood Shores today. So, okay. Yeah. You know, it was it was funny along that is. I can remember one of the earlier experiences uh, as my parents built our house and they expanded it out. We went down and Warehouser was there in Everett. So they'd have a storm and the log booms would bust sometimes and stuff would come out. And we would get uh, cedar logs and pull them into Layman's Beach with a rowboat and then with a crosscut, cut them into, into lengths and then bring them up to our house in the car. And then we would split them and make those the shingle shakes or the cedar shakes for the side of the house and uh and then my dad got this ugliest yellow paint in your in the world <laughs> and he painted those things and i was totally amazed when i came back here in 94 that that old place was still standing that those cedar shakes out of the salt water were still on the side of that house wow. and that ugly yellow was still there and it's still there to this day uh in 2020 that he built back in 1950. Wow. Uh, now uh, i think every termite that's ever visited kamena island has passed through that over the years because post and pier and, and everything else uh and and i'm sure if anybody ever inspected that they could, but but to think that he did that, built that, he made the cabinets out of plywood by himself and all did all the electrical and all the plumbing. But that's what you had to do because you weren't going to go find a contractor, yeah. uh, an electrician or a plumber. You'd be lucky to find them back then. You you did things yourself. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Done, done yourself. <laughs> yeah. 
And then, like he said, lumber out of wherever you could get it for whatever price. And there were a lot of interesting stuff. You yeah. know, Otto built this marvelous big house oh, that was going to be the lodge, and it was built out of an operation like Jim is talking about: cedar logs and 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 uh, logs coming in on the beach and being hauled up, and then sawed off, sawed up into timbers. And he built this three-story house that was always gray and driftwood color. It had a big porch with windows all the way around. And, it, it, you know, you know, maybe in my imagination and thinking back as a kid, it's bigger than it was. But to us, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, you're right. It, but it was, it was the center point. When, when we came on the island, that's, that was the first place that was a great big landmark. Yeah. And it was real important because that's where we went to get water because we didn't have any water. And so oh, okay. we'd, we'd go up to the cabin. My dad had a big barrel, and then he had a whole bunch of glass uh, gallons, and he'd put them in the back of the truck car or station wagon. We'd go down to, to the Lehman's, often at night, and, and knock on the door, and they'd open the door, and they had a well okay. down there. And, uh, and so we'd get water and bring the water back up. And, wow. And, and Otto had brought several people from I, I, wherever he knew them, I think from Seattle, and brought them up to help him build and sort of installed them around there. One, one was a fellow named Fred. Fred, Fred Brown. Fred Brown. I don't know why that just came to me. Well, yeah. that's, that's perfect, but Brown was not really his name. <clears throat> no. He, he had some German name that was unpronounceable, and he took the name Brown, yeah. if I remember <laughs> correctly. But Fred used to build boats <clears throat> okay. by, out of these same logs that, that Jim is talking about. And Jim had one of those. A Fred, oh, yeah. It was called a Fred built. Yeah, a cedar boat. cedar boat. Yeah. yeah. And I can remember his hands were all scaly from working with that cedar all the time with no gloves. And it took forever to build it, but he uh, he built some really nice boats. Yeah. Wow. So then, did you guys? How far out from where you guys is? I guess first of all, for pinpoint, where were you guys housed like on the island then during that time? Do you know where uh, where Thunder Ridge is? Yeah. Okay, if you come uh, north of Thunder Ridge, I don't know, six, eight hundred feet tops. Okay, that's where he was on the one side. There's a, there's his, his cabin is still there. Okay, uh, been upgraded since, you know, <laughs> a but, bit. but it's, it's that was still there, and then uh, it's about halfway between Thunder Ridge and where Patricia Ann Lehman Road is. Yep. That intersection on the bluff. Yeah. Okay, so then how far out were you guys traveling on your? daily adventures it seemed like three miles but oh. kids are age, you know like he said going through the woods you don't go very fast mm -hmm. and it takes you a while to go and you wander around and geez we're pretty close to where we started i think i don't know <laughs> well there were big there were woods, the woods were thick on both sides yeah. of of both of our lots and if i went toward jim's jim's that was one set of woods there and uh, there was an old shack halfway between there that somebody had that. Yeah. Th that somebody had um uh, built when they were either logging or doing something there it was it had a it had a little slant slant slanted roof but it was just a little like a storage shed yeah and they had a security system to keep people from messing around with that shack do you remember what that was they had written on the door in red paint danger dynamite 
<laughs> I forgot about that, too. I never, ever saw anybody there, ever. And we never saw any dynamite, either, <laughs> no, because we were in there a lot. <laughs> and we used to call it the Danger Dynamite Shack. <laughs> but I said, and it wasn't until years later that I realized, wait a minute, whoever did that wanted to keep people out of there, or to keep kids out. They said, here's how we'll do it. We'll write Danger Dynamite on the war door of the shack. So that... Uh, that's how that works. Now the only thing, the only time it was kind of iffy, and my mother wouldn't let me go out that much then, was in October when the deer season would start. Oh, yeah. Then the hunters would come up from Seattle, and some of them were road shooting, uh, and that. So she said, "No, you're not going to go out there and, on the weekends and everything else." But other than that, there was never anybody around. Wow. Yeah, yeah it was different. But uh, you know, we had, we had some basic activities that were really important that we came to Camino Island for. Smelt, smelting was really big. Yeah. Blackberry picking was really yes. big. Yeah. And yeah. mushroom picking was really big. Okay. Now, the Jim just reminded me about that. Cause, and mushroom picking, you had to be real careful because it was hard up close to, to the hunting season. Yeah. And so we'd go oh. mushroom picking and then all of a sudden say, ah, no more mushroom picking. <laughs> Tell the crazy hunters, get out of the woods. And they uh, liked the morales, and my dad liked the shaggy manes, the inky black caps. And, okay. But, yeah, I forgot. And the blackberries aren't those big ones that you see. Oh, those yeah. are the real tiny little ones where they're right, they happen to be right around the, where the nettles are. So you got good old nettle stings and the stickers in you, and you go, wow, these berries are really worth it. And you, you'd pick for hours, and they just kind of squish on down. <laughs> At the end of the day, your hands would be all purple. Well, and right. the, if you got in a really good spot, then the front of your clothes would all be that's purple, right. too. Now, do you remember the lady on the other side of the island that, that used to buy yeah. blackberries? Yeah. Ruth? Ruth? Uh, I can't remember her name, but it was over in Madrona, just up from the Yacht Club. Uh, and in fact, when I got here, it used to be a cafe. Okay. On that had, side of the yeah, road. Yeah. The... Yeah. And then the other place that would, would buy them was uh, up at the Turkey House up there uh, by Conway. Oh, that's where we, that's where we, uh, Jim Lindell and I used to do that. And, uh, it so was, you, have um, to, you actually sold, we always made pies and we ate them. Yeah. But, I can't remember who told Jim and I to do that. So we did that and we spent an awful lot of time picking just to make four or five bucks on it. Cause it squished down. Okay. Enough of that idea. Uh, <laughs> that's probably a good deal for them. Yeah. 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 It was. But you know that smelting thing was was a moment in time, and I, and I can remember when it was such that you went down at high tide, mm -hmm. and the people were almost oh, yeah. shoulder to shoulder, from wonder wonder, and where we we were always in the same area, which was basically below Jim's house and below our house. Okay, which means you went down to that area which is now the county park at Cavalero Road. Yep. And yeah, and you walk north from there along the beach. Um, and that area that the people just came from all over, all over the island or people that knew about it. Yeah. And they would be there as I say, three, four feet apart. Yeah. And you were really protective of your little area. You know, you know, give me room to operate here, you know. And and then you could just see the smelt coming down the beach. They'd be getting them down there, and then you'd be coming your way. They're coming our way, this and that. And 
Lots of it yelling was, and it was a lot of boring sitting around doing oh. nothing and all of a sudden those things would hit and when they would hit just like Vince was saying and you were <clears> running and I can remember once it was during the week my mother and I went down and and it was just the two of us and we were going so we were digging little potholes alongside Besser logs we were throwing up in the logs and going up and down by hand and back, yeah and here's the dog on seagull flying behind us oh we're getting out of the way <laughs> just sweating that's right. Just... that's right yeah the seagulls after it yeah <laughs> Well, I remember, because <clears throat> um, we used to live up on Tillicum Way. Right. Um, right above Arrowhead Beach Road. Right. And um, as a kid, I remember, because we didn't, like, my dad, when he moved up here, I mean, our knowledge of this area and wildlife or anything up here was very little. And I remember being on the beach down there with some friends, and we didn't know what was going on, but we were down there just throwing rocks into the water, whatever. And all of a sudden, like, we hear, like, some stuff going down, like, along the water, and we're like... What is that? You know, we're like younger kids. So to us, it we're like thinking like some sort of monsters like coming mm-hmm. out. And we're like, okay, it went away. And then it's like over here. And then it's like, they're everywhere. And it, we're like, what are they? And then we figure out they were fish. And we had no idea what else yeah. besides that. You know, the other thing that happened, we were here a couple of years and we came back in 94. And our, our nephews came up. They're the same age as our kids. So they were probably in their early 20s then. And uh, we go down to the beach. And there was a stick. I picked up the stick, threw the rock in the air, and hit it. And it was like, wow, what'd you just do? <laughs> well, that's the only baseball. And that, <laughs> you, had to do that. you used to do that for hours. By hours. <laughs> hours. Right. And if you found a really good stick, you, uh-huh. you kind of want to keep it. <laughs> that's where you you know? Yeah. And I can remember there was one other couple that, that lived there. They lived down on, they built down below the bluff. Their name was Schindler, and they came up, and they had a daughter the same age as Vince. They came up once in a, and once in a while too, but but her older brother, and that was when Leo Lassen used to announce the Rainier baseball game, and he'd have the radio going on, and then we're down there with the sticks, you know, throwing the bat. Yeah, we hit it, oh, because he's making the okay. Hey, you know, it was uh, <laughs> you do what you got to do. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah, right. well, I mean. In some ways, I mean, that was how we, like, when we were up here, when we first moved up here, um, there wasn't a whole lot, no. you know, a whole lot going on. So, like, my friends and I, we would do bike rides around the island. Um, we'd spend a ton of time at, like, Utsaladi Beach, um, yeah. right right behind the little store by the bay. And we would do the same thing. We'd be sitting there hitting sticks. But, and those things become more memorable <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. than, than sort of some stylized thing or, or planned uh, event. It just is... They... They really uh, meant a lot. Yeah, as it happened. There yeah. was a uh, when you say that it reminded me. I was in the seventh grade, and uh, there was a new eighth grade teacher that was there, and he was just right out of Western, and he he coached the football, the baseball, and basketball stuff. So it was in the spring, and he came down the hall, and he said to me, uh, "Hey, you play baseball?" Uh, he said, well, "Why don't you turn out for baseball?" So I went on home and I told my parents, uh, I got to play baseball because Mr. Ayers said I had to. And my dad thought I'd died and gone to heaven because he always wanted me to play baseball. So he bought me a three-speed English bicycle, which was big time then. And I rode my bike from there all the way up to the Lincoln Grade School, which is the senior center in San Juan. Now, that was 11 miles. <laughs> rode my bike in the morning, attended school, and then turned out for, I guess it was only an hour back then, and I'd have to ride my bike all the way back here. And I did that either two or three days in a row. 
And coming out of one of the practices, there was an eighth grader, and he walked with me down the hill through Stanwood. And then he stuck out his thumb, and a pickup stopped. Um, and the the guy said, hey, kid, you want to put your bicycle? Yeah, okay. So <laughs> I put my bicycle in it, and he, he brought us out to Camino Hill Road. And I only had to go that short distance. So that was the last time I rode my bicycle to school, and I used to hitchhike home every night after that. And then even in the eighth grade, you hitchhiked in the, and then in the ninth grade, the basketball practice is in the morning at seven o'clock is when we got the gym. So I'd be out there at six in the morning, I'm gonna <laughs> ride to get all the way into Stanford and back in the winter months. But yeah, that's how you got around back then too. If you want to go it, somewhere, you hitchhike. And it, and it worked. Yeah. yeah. And it worked. Yeah. 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 <sighs> so. Then what were your guys's? So your your parents, um, Jim, were working, or your dad was working with the ferry, right? Vince, what was your parents doing? Well, my my dad had his, had a business in Seattle, and uh, they were they were manufacturing Venetian blinds and draperies and stuff like that for for homes, and they had uh, uh, a little shop um, in uh, on Dearborn Street in Seattle, and they did that. Um, I went to school. I went to school there. Okay. Um, but. That Seattle was sort of a place you had to be when you weren't at Camino. You know, yeah. that was the deal. That, that's what we were looking forward to was what, you know, when, we're, when we're, what was the schedule? Are we going this weekend or something came up? We can't, oh, we can't go to the island. So we'd go the next weekend. And, and then, of course, in the summer, then what, you know, how early can we get up there? To, if the school's not out until whatever, the, the whatever, 15th of June or whatever it was. Yeah. Like that. You know, there was the other thing, that memory too, he mentioned that because his dad had, uh, it was either a 53 or 54 Ford station wagon. Oh, yeah. And he came up, and when we were up here, then it was like, hey, you want to go to Utsalati to get an ice cream cone? You know, because Utsalati's store was the only place. Yeah. So Vince and I and his sister would get on the tailgate of that station wagon, <laughs> and his dad would drive us on down. And it seemed like he was going fast. I doubt very seriously he was going more than 20 miles an hour. When you're looking backwards, it's like, whoa. Yeah. But we'd ride all the way over there on the back of that tailgate, get our ice cream, and come on back, or to go down to the layman's. And I think about now, oh, geez, you got to be buckled up if you that was free that car. <laughs> that was sort of stand. any time that you had to go and and, and it was uh, that that Jim was with us or that we'd sit on the tailgate of the station wagon and go. Yep. Uh, yeah. My dad was uh, well, he was in favor of ice cream cones. I, oh, yeah. I don't think he had a problem with the proliferation of ice cream cones. And <laughs> any slightest excuse to go for an ice cream cone yeah. was was great, and uh, that yep. was that was terrific. Yeah. And that, that was sort of the way we did the blackberries and the, and the mushrooms, too, is we'd ride out the tailgate yep. and uh, keep our eye open and uh, shout instructions as we went down the road. Yeah. yeah, well, even when we first moved up here, again, there wasn't much going on. Nope. So we would ride in the back of my dad's pickup truck like when we went to and from like the boat launch or um, <clears throat> anything that was based on the island. I'll, like if it was summer, he would let us ride in the back of the truck. and We, I don't know, we did that quite a bit. <laughs> You know, I, I think one of your little notes there was you said, what's what's one of the biggest changes? And I first noticed it when I came up in, in 94. I came back here, and then I started working in real estate. And and uh, people would buy and have their summer home and think the grandkids were going to come up and visit. And the grandkids would come up here and sit inside because it was so boring, and they'd watch television. And I was thinking, good golly, because back then... You, you never thought of staying inside. You just and your your parents, like Vince said, get out of here, and there was nobody hovering over you. You're on your own, and I see it. You know, kids, 
And even my own son came back in the uh, late 90s for a while, and he said, you know, I like you guys, but this place is boring. I'm going down to Seattle and find a place to work. And it was like, oh, man, this it used was to a be... Different, it was a different kind of fun that I think was more realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was the, the imagination part That's of it. Right. And the creating of your own thing. I mean, climbing the tree and then uh, imagining all the, the adventures that, that are around, <laughs> around uh, the, you know, whatever required you to, to climb the tree. Yeah. Or we had, a, we had a tree house, and often we'd sleep in the tree house overnight. And, you know, the tree house was, you know, 40 feet from the house, but still you, you, we could have been at the, you know, in the middle, middle of, a, uh, of an uncharted wilderness. Uh, especially because you had a kerosene lantern or a candle, and it, yeah, yeah. It, you know, you said that that his dad just rolled, was almost crying. He was laughing so hard. He was out on the porch, and I came over early one morning, and and Bernstein said, "Shut up in the treehouse." So I went up in the treehouse, and there's these two sleeping bags, and I grabbed one. And Vince's sister, her head popped up, and she had one of her friends there. <laughs> and he was in the house. His dad thought that was the funniest thing going. Oh, that's right. You talked about that for a long time. I, I woke up two girls in the treehouse. Uh, yeah, oh, well. Did you guys build the treehouse? Or yeah. did, did your dad? Or My did dad you? did. Okay. My dad did, yeah. And the lumber for the treehouse, he went up. There was there was a lot of little logging operations, and there was one right up, uh, up the road, uh, and they would they would take the the the, uh, the logs, and when they started making the lumber, they they'd rip down the sides, the round part off yeah. the sides as, as they're squaring up this log. Yeah. And so there was all this leftover stuff left there, all these uh, sides. What do they call that stuff? Slag, yeah, slag, yeah. something like that. And so he, he took, took that down, and he had bolted his, his uh, t- uh, skill saw upside down, and he was running these through them to make the, the sides straight because they're all uneven because yeah. they come out of a log, and that's what he built the treehouse out of. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. oh, and the treehouse at one end had a dogwood tree that was close to it, uh, that didn't have any branches on. The branches were higher, and the way you came down from the treehouse is you you jumped onto this uh, dogwood tree and slid down to the ground. That was the standard uh, that, way to leave. And when we're tree. saying treehouse, it wasn't really a house. It no. was it was I don't know, probably four or five feet wide, and then had railings on both sides, and it was just basically platform between the two. And oh yeah. Right. And then the next one was a little more elaborate, yeah. but. But it was, you know, just something. But it was called the tree house. That's right. You know, yes. even though that's the way we refer to it. There was nothing really house about it other than that's what we called it. And so, of course, yeah, that's how that went. So then, yeah. um, Vince, then you guys would come up and visit and everything. When did you actually end up moving to the island and how did that occur? Well, we had a mutual friend that Jim mentioned earlier, Jim Lindell. And Jim Lindell was here on Camino Island uh, building houses. He had started building houses when he was in uh, high school, yeah. working okay. for Ken Ken Manning. Was it Ken Manning? The guy that, anyway, b- fellow that built a lot of the first houses down in the country club area. Okay. And uh, anyway, J- Jim had been building houses, but he was also doing some commercial fisher- fishing. So uh, I was I was working in Seattle at the time, and I had a little little business uh, making wooden products and and things and Jim would stop in and see me once in a while but uh, one day in, in the 
72 or 73, he said, just offhand, he said, why don't you move up to Camino Island and help me build houses? He said, I've got a, I, it looks like I'm going to be able to get a license to fish uh, Bristol Bay in Alaska, so I'll be gone in the summer, and uh, we could be partners building houses. So that was it. I came up, to, I moved up permanently. We'd, we'd still been coming up on the weekends, Okay. Uh, and nothing had changed as far as coming up the weekends, except, of course, by this time I was married and I had two children. And uh, so we sold our little house in Seattle and moved up to Camino Island, and I went to work uh, with Jim. Okay. And we did that for a few years until he decided to fish full-time, and then I continued building houses. Okay. And so that went on for about 40 years. You know, a little Did you little move to the... To did you you didn't move to the same property, right? You moved somewhere else. Somewhere else, yeah, okay. uh, yeah. So my because my parents were there. Okay. Uh, shortly after I did, I we moved up. My dad retired, and they 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 moved up to the to the old what was what was sort of at that time somewhat remodeled cabin that he had built with my uh, grandfather. Okay. So, Very cool. Yeah. So how did you end up meeting my dad, Jeff? Um, the way I met Jeff, it's an interesting story. We'd been, um, I guess it's, that's one of the things people say, right? It's a really interesting story. It, yeah, you know, <laughs> at our age. Uh, yeah, you know, I, after I said it, I said, oh, gee, that sounds kind of stupid. <laughs> Can we erase part of any of that? Uh, maybe later. Anyway, we had, one of the things we'd observed going on, uh, by this time we'd been, uh, been there on Camino for 15, 18 years, something in that neighborhood, at, uh, been living here permanently. And so my wife came home one day and said, oh my gosh, I just, got, I just heard another idea about Terry's Corner. So Terry's Corner was uh, this place well known now here on Camino Island. When I was a kid, Mr. Terry had the dairy farm here, and it was very, very, Mr. Terry was a contact influential because if you knew Mr. Terry, you could go down there and get really great manure to bring up to, for your garden, which my dad did. And then, as, after we'd moved up, we'd heard over this 15 years or so different schemes that were announced either in the newspaper or rumors or you heard about real estate people talking about something going on and it was going to be a, a store, it was going to be a post office, it was going to be a gas station and a convenience store. And none of this stuff ever materialized. Right. And so my wife came home and said, ah, I was down at Elger Bay grocery store <laughs> and there's a guy down there with another scheme for Driftwood, for Terry's Corner. And we laughed, yeah, yeah. And he said, oh yeah, he, he's going to, He's going to sell coffee, and he's going to have a, a restaurant down there and all that. And Terry's Corner was blackberry bushes and swampy ground. Yep. Uh, and so we had a good laugh about that. And um, then I heard more and more about this thing coming together and coming together. And by this time, I had gotten myself involved with the county or, f or helping people who wanted to get some things done through the county as far as permitting yeah. was concerned. I'd been doing that for, for, I started to doing it for other contractors while building it. And anyway, I'd been doing that for several years and, and uh, had gotten to know the people at the county. So um, your dad called me and said, gee, could you come down and meet? We're going to try to talk about how we can get this thing permitted. 
and I came down and he had brought a group of folks together and we talked and uh, that's how we met. Okay. So and I want to go back real quick. Can you, just because it's such a well-known name and yet nobody knows anything about him, can you talk a little bit about like what you remember of Terry from the farmer and what that was like back then? Well, um, I didn't know, you know, I was, I was at, in the, in the, in the cows in the Mr. Terry day, I was just a little kid and I was more interested in the BB gun in the treehouse <laughs> than going to get sacks of manure and bringing them home. That, you know, much as I say we were, uh, you know, looking for fun in the outdoors, that was probably real low on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it was, there were a lot of, I think, subsistence farms operations on the island that that have disappeared now and mm -hmm. that was that was one of them and i think it was a was a bigger one and i think he was a did you know anything more about no, him I, no other than just this was a landmark and he had the big farm down here and i know one other side note of that i'll mention before i forget um in this area somewhere was a big strawberry farm okay and it was owned by a guy named willard austin <clears throat> And I can remember my sisters were both older than me. They used to pick strawberries for him. Well, he sold in 1957, and he went down to Bothell. And at that main intersection in Bothell where the Bothell Everett Highway comes down, and you got the one going to, to Lake Stevens, he built a little, or he bought a little uh, hamburger drive-in spot, and it was called the Bothell Freeze back then. And so when we left here in 1960, and then in my junior year in 61, I got a job working there, and that's when I found out, yeah, we used to live on Camino Island. We used to own the dairy farm, and your sister worked for us. So he then sold that to his son. They changed it to the ranch drive-in. His son passed it on to his son, and so that thing has been standing there since 1957, and it's still competing against the McDonald's and the Burger King and everything else, and still doing very, very well, still packing them in uh, there. And that was a guy, you know, that started up here. It was another one of the names, but, but, but I never, I never knew Terry. You no, know, like Vince said, uh, just that that was the Terry that was a big farm, like Christofferson's had the other big farm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is cool. All the different things. Strawberry are... picking. That was that was something that 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 kids did. And, and, uh, and my my so my kids, I had, I had three boys. The two older boys got involved with strawberry picking. And and the way it worked is you you went to some central location and and, and the farms at that time weren't in Stanwood anymore. By that time they were on the frontage road on the way up toward yeah. Conway, and uh, um, so the bus would take them out. To the field and they would get these baskets and they would go out to pick the strawberries well that got boring after a while and they would eat a lot of strawberries and then of Throw course the rotten ones at each and other. then they would start throwing strawberries <laughs> at each other and uh that got uh, something less than productive and and so uh, they, anyway they would do that they keep them try to keep them busy all day and try to get any strawberries from them at the end of the day they'd go and turn their strawberries in and they wouldn't have very many strawberries i mean they'd have a few strawberries and so maybe they'd earn uh four dollars and fifty cents or two dollars and ten cents or something but the lady that was running the operation before they got on the bus she took them over to a table where they she had candy bars for sale and by the time they got home, 
All they had were clothes that were all full of strawberry stains, little or no money, and the downside was they'd usually lost a jacket. <laughs> My wife used to say it was not a money-making deal at all, just replacing the jackets was, you know, was expensive. So strawberry picking. And the other thing I heard about, but I never really understood how that worked. It always sounded strange and mysterious that kids did, and it was called roguing spinach. It, in, it involved lying on, a, on, a, on the wings of a tractor and doing something to spinach plants as they passed, you passed over the top of them. But uh, two friends of my, my children did that, and uh, I thought maybe in the future I'd find out. I was hoping Jim would tell me something. But, yeah. <laughs> well, see, I, have, I was only 16 when we moved out of here in 1960. And I didn't come back until 1994. So that's a 34-year gap. So when I come back, that, oh, don't you remember? You grew up here. You No, because there was that gap. That, you know, <laughs> when you're 16, you finally drive a car. That's when you actually start to get out and, oh, know these different places and yeah. everything. But, yeah. but So that, there was that long gap in here I don't have any knowledge of, or he's much more knowledgeable about this place than I am. And how did uh, you, Jim, meet uh, my dad? Uh, I was at, at the Windermere Dan Garrison office at that time at the country club. And he walked in looking for another agent who had left the company. And so I talked to him, and then um, we drove around looking. I think he was looking for property for his father oh, and, okay. initially. And then uh, I don't remember <clears throat> I selling – I sold a couple different things to him. And, and I remember he had real estate. He'd come talk to me a little bit about it. But uh, I was trying to think when uh, he started this at Terry's Corner here and everything. I, I just remember, and I, I think it was uh, somebody in the office came up and said, hey, there's these lattes down there at, at the Alger Bay store. So I had one. And then I found out it was Jeff's. Uh, but it was when he finally, he had something down here. And he had the little Christmas shop. Yep, yep. And I remember going into the Christmas shop, and he <clears> said, "Hey, come here, come here. I gotta show you something. You know, whenever your dad says you gotta show you, <laughs> look out." And so he introduced me to the uh, the frozen explosions. Yep. And then uh, then he he shifted from the as I started getting those down there at Alger Bay, then the uh, said, the young gal said, "You gotta try white chocolate." So I did, and that got me addicted to him. Uh, 20 some odd years ago and then it was the uh the eggnog ones yeah so it was back in the 90s when i first met him but i'm not sure uh when i got i got the connection here but i just remember going to his christmas stores every year we would go there and look around for the knickknacks and everything else yeah um well i see vince you still have notes on your paper have we hit what you've had written down? Oh no, I had just when I when I looked through your list of some kind of suggestions, you were talking about interesting people. Yeah, and um, and so I, I, you know, on a sad note, some of the great people that I remember that were so characteristic of the Camino Island, I remembered in those early days we were talking about. They're well, of course, they're they're gone now, but they were really Otto Lehman and and his wife Peggy. Uh, with that dream that they had of building this big, this lodge, um, 
And then they, they see they owned all that property that's now Driftwood Shores and the property on the other side of the road. Wow, okay. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. and they owned that property all the way from <clears throat> Caballero Road all, all, the way, all the way down there. And, um, and he, was, he was quite a guy, quite an ambitious, quite an ambitious guy. And he, yeah. had his, his, he had Fred Brown up that was building the boats, and he had brought his brother up. Gus. And, and Gus Lehman, and Gus was a character of the highest magnitude. <laughs> Highest magnet. He had an old house down there, right by Triangle Cove, and and I was when I was a, two two stories about Gus. I was a, a little guy, so I'm I'm seven years old or something like that, going and going around with my dad, and he said, "We I got to go see this guy Fred because I got to talk to him about something." So we go down there, and and uh, uh, my dad starts to talk in, and and I'm looking around, and he's got this uh, uh, a corral thing with some animals in there. And so he comes over, and he says, so I got this pig, and this is really a mean pig. This pig is sleeping there. And this is really a mean pig. Oh, I, yeah, I, he, let me show you. So he gets a sharp stick and pokes this pig with this stick, and the pig gets up. <laughs> see how mean that pig is? And I can remember my dad driving away, and my dad's laughing. I said, what's so funny? He says, well, he says of course it's a mean pig. <laughs> poking it with a mean stick every time anybody stops by. But the reason we had stopped there is that my dad wanted to talk to him about serious business. So he said, Fred, I'm going to, you know, I'm building this, building the cabin up there with my, with my father-in-law, which is my grandfather. And uh, they wanted to do a little bit of something. And he said, I need a beam. I need a wooden beam that's, uh, you know, 12 by 8 or 12 by 12 big beam. You know, this is not foundation building in those days, you know. I need this beam, and I need it to be 18, 20 feet long. And Fred used to patrol the beach, and so he would have access to this kind of stuff. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, so Fred said, gee, uh, gee, I don't have anything right now. How long do you need it? So my dad told him the length. And, he, and Fred said, well, wait a minute. How about that beam over there? So he's pointing at his house was up on stilts, Fred's house. <laughs> So he's pointing at a beam that's holding up his house. <laughs> and my dad said, yeah, a beam like that would be fine. Well, Fred said, no, I mean that beam. Said, what do you mean? He said, well, I, get, I got house jacks. I could get that out of there. Wait, no, that would be too much trouble. He said, no, I'll get another one. It's not a problem. Uh, and so my dad said, well, I, I suppose that's all right. Uh, how much would that be? And Fred said, um, would $5 be too much? And my dad said, would you deliver it? And Fred said, oh, sure. So that's where the beam came from that's on the, uh, on the north side of our, was on the north side of our cabin from Fred. And that was, that was Fred Lehman. So. I remember Gus, Gus had two raccoons as pets. Not Fred, Gus. Oh, Gus, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my dad would stop by to see him now and then. And he used to make wine all the time. And so he said to my dad, uh, hey, I got, I got this really good stuff. So my dad, okay. So, I, well, it was brandy. It was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, got, but, but uh, if I recall right, all, all of them, they were under uh, a watch because they were German during the war, I think my dad said. Oh, okay. And they had this more or less say where their whereabouts, where they were going to go. Uh, for a period, and I was thinking that they had come from Germany 
uh, like in the 20s or 30s. Maybe I'm wrong. I got something all screwed up in my brain. No, that's fine. I, don't, I never but, heard but I, that. But I know that they they uh, had to had to be uh, notif notify if they were going to leave any of this area okay. to, for any significant yeah. You know, I'm not down to Seattle, not a problem, but if they were going to go outside the state yeah. or something like that, yeah. Yeah, we, you know, you, you get a little touch of history there, I, I, and I don't remember it, but I remember my folks talking about when they came to Camino Island, Yeah. they were had to be careful about having lights on at night yeah. because of the blackout uh, business. Yeah. Yeah, and so those were those were the war years. Yeah, yeah. And that uh, that impacted, uh, I mean, all that all that stuff. Um, but see, uh, one of the things there that, about that is that is that both our parents and a lot of the other people around here had lived through the Depression era. Okay. And then they'd lived through the World War II era. And the World War II era, even here in the state, there was a lot of rationing of stuff. There was a lot of doing without stuff because of the war effort. And so you got used to getting by on a little and and they they never my parents never really got over that kind of stuff they still watched everything through the 50s because you yeah. never know when something's going to happen yeah. Yeah. you Absolutely. never know when something's going to happen and that yeah. was their attitude and so there was no extravagant stuff like there is now and i think that's why so many families look forward to and were willing to to live um, enjoyed the rusticness of it these, yeah. because those beach cabins, the first cabins that appeared at Driftwood Shores and Tillicum Beach and Taiyi Beach and those places, they were all pretty humble arrangements. Oh, they, yeah. were, they were driftwood and corrugated metal and uh, you came up, up with a few tools and, uh, and a case of beer and that's whatever they built that weekend, that was, that was part of the cabin. I can remember in, in, over Madrona, uh, I listed a house it was at one of those beachy places, and the parents had passed on, and the kids couldn't afford to buy it. There was brothers and sisters. They couldn't. Uh, so they had to sell it as a family. And you walked into that thing, and, and the older sister listed and she was really teary-eyed. And up on the wall, all you saw were these pictures of all these families, all the kids. And she says, I can remember this whole floor would just be sleeping bags in the summer because our friends from Seattle, our cousins from Seattle, would come up for the big weekend and do it on 4th of July, yeah. all those things. And she said, you know, my kids will never experience that because I can't afford to have something like this and do it. And that, that was the way it was back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, but the rusticness, I think Jim is exactly right. I never thought of it that way, but but being a product of the Depression and then the war years, um, having to do without running water for a while, and not that not that that happened, but that was that you had the idea that you could get by, yeah. and that maybe even there would be a few laughs and a little bit of uh, of enjoyment out of uh, out of being close to nature and, and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. My mother always used to tell me, we had, a, we had a generator, an old World War II Army generator that my dad got. So we'd run that a certain amount of hours a day to, to do some of the cooking and some of the other stuff. And, and on the radio, uh, I would listen to the old radio shows back then. There was some kind of mystery show. I don't know whatever. And my mother was ironing and everything else. And she said, well, would you go turn the generator off? And it was a commercial. So I ran out there, turned the generator off, ran back in the house. Never did hear the end of the program, you know. <laughs> but that's, you know. But the rest of the time it was the kerosene lanterns at night and all other stuff and yeah. the wood stoves and, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Um, so the first one is: Do you have a lesser known or favorite location on Camino Island that you like to hang out? 
knowing it's going to be known now. <laughs> yeah, right. Are we supposed to? Are we supposed to say the marketplace? Is that? Are we supposed to? Say, no. no. Mine goes back to because of all the memories. You know, uh, I live in the south end of the country club now. I like to go down on the beach. When I go down to the beach three, where there's no houses around, every now and then, and just walk the beach. Just sit on the beach on the logs, and like I did as a kid, you know, when the seals would come by or the yeah. loons yeah. would come by. Just it's just quiet. Uh, so those, and then you know, the, another one that we'd go to over English Boom, and yeah. look there because very few people, but. Those are kind of my favorite spots. I, I've got I've got to agree, a hundred percent. My if the spot that comes to mind to me, is that area, of the beach. Yeah. North of, uh, of, of where the county park is now at Cavalier. Yeah. When I walk that, that beach, too. it's exactly like it was when we were kids and I was there with my dad. Isn't it's exactly amazing? Exactly the same. There's no houses there. The same, the, you know, the driftwood pattern is the same. The trees hanging over and you can walk and walk and walk and the beach is is the same. But you notice the locks, the, the rocks shrunk because they used to be so hard to climb up on yeah, top they were, of. They were and bigger now, rocks. Now they're only they're, about four feet yeah. high, but back then, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, Big boulders. Yeah. Well, he's so old, he's seeing geological changes, you know, <laughs> right. wearing out of nature. Yeah. And that sort of no, you're right, yeah. That, that, uh, those are the places that, that I remember the special for me. Yeah. Um, pretend you have a friend from coming in from out of town uh, to Quaino Island. What would the first day look like here? The day looked like for them, do you mean? Yeah, like if you were taking them basically on a tour. You know, yeah, it depends, on their, it depends on their interests. Yeah. But I think we'd gravitate toward, toward the water <clears throat> and toward, uh, uh, toward the beach. Um, it, and again, again, it depends on the time of the year. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things from the south end is we'd say, okay, we'll, we'll drive around the head of the island. That's, yeah. that's, sort of a, that's sort of a standard trip. It's short and it's... Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting in that you you know you're traveling south for a while, you make a little turn, and then you're traveling north, and the water's on one side, and it's on the other side, and uh, and of course there's some beautiful uh, uh, shots of, of the view, and that so that's that's big for for people. Yeah, yeah. And that's that. It's kind of an easy one because we do it so much. Uh, and my wife grew up in Redmond pre uh, Microsoft. Okay. So she really likes this place up here, too, and she likes to go for drives. So whenever anybody comes up, we go in the car, or even when we just come back from shopping somewhere, uh, we have to turn at Cascade Lumber, and we have to go all the way around through Utsaladi and down the west side. And if we're not in any hurry, we'll go all the way down to the south end and around. If we're in kind of a hurry, we'll cut at the Alger Bay store to go over. But just drive around the island and just... You know, because a lot of people, there's a lot of changes between north end and south end and east side and west side and everything, even though there's more houses. But, yeah, we just tour around the island. Yeah. All right. Um, who's an interesting or fascinating person in, in this community that I should interview next? Boy, there's lots of, there's lots of yeah. people. You know, the, I, I stopped and talked to Jim on our, on our way in here and because I, I thought about that. I thought about that question, uh, and a lot of the really people I remember as being interesting and, and listening to them talk and, and, and hear stories, they're, they're gone. They're gone. So uh, they, were the, they were the fishermen that went every year to Alaska that we heard about, the people that were involved in logging. There was a whole 
Garrison family that were involved in logging in the in the early days of what they call Jippo logging operations, and uh, that that was interesting. So, but but I, I um, Ted Snowden. I don't know that Ted Snowden is around, but um, Dan, uh, Don Simonson would be interesting. Yeah. Don Simonson's father used to be uh, the building inspector on the island, and Jim told me something the other day that Don Simonson said about his father. Oh, and that's another story, too, that he used to go out and paint the bomb targets. Yeah. What, what are the bomb targets? I'll, go ahead. I'm it was. It was. It, I'm sure they're probably off of Barnum's Point. It seems like from our house they were further out, uh, but they were just big pilings out there, and I don't think there was anything on it other than they were just big pilings. And then, and then it was during the war. They had the the bombers up at Woodby, the old yep. prop ones, and they would fly over and drop these sandbags or stuff, dummy stuff. On try to hit these doggone bomb targets. Whoa! And uh, and they were just stuck out there. And I remember I came back and I thought, my God, they're still there. They're still but there. I think it was a channel marker. Maybe it wasn't. No, they no, were they still were, there. They, yeah. yeah. They were when I was growing up. Those were the bomb targets. Yeah. And when I my earliest well, I got my my abs one of my absolute earliest memories of Camino Island that I can identify, and that's uh, walking with my dad like hand in hand, yeah. from the cabin, walking down <clears throat> toward the bank. And we, he said, we're gonna, go, we're gonna go watch the airplanes. We're gonna watch them bomb. And I can remember walking, and I can remember hearing the airplanes, but then I don't remember any more about it. I don't remember what any of that was like. But all the time we were looking out there, we're always looking out, uh, at, that, was, that was a landmark out there. Yeah. Way out there, but pilings that were sticking up, and at one time there was some kind of wooden framework or something on there. And Mrs. Lehman used to tell us that there was a family that used to come up every year to to and because Lehman's was the only house there. Okay. And they would stop and talk to Peggy and Otto because their son had lost his life there as a bomber pilot. You know, something Probably happened during a yeah. run and and. Uh, oh. He was out. He 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 lost his life there, and they never recovered the plane, and they never recovered anything. Yeah. So that was um, that was kind of serious stuff. Yeah. Serious stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Don Simonson would be a be somebody. Yeah. Um. I, the other thing I think about is people that grew up on the beach. Because see, that was a different kind of a society thing. They, I mean, they say they were they were summer people on the beach. We were summer people up on the hill in the <laughs> woods. Then there were the summer people down on the beach. And so I think about uh, Timmermans. There was Don Timmerman. Yeah, because he, he was way back uh, during the time. Yeah, Don Timmerman and uh, Glenna. Yeah. They were on Driftwood Shores. And then over on uh, on Arrowhead. Not Arrowhead, over on um, Iverson. Iverson. Down there below Mole Road, whatever, what is that? Yeah, there, that's Long Iverson's. Beach. Iverson Beach. It's now called Long that's, Beach. That's yeah. John, uh, uh, the fellow that has the coffee. Is it uh, Fitzpatrick? And, uh, and, and Gay? Oh, Kirkpatrick. Kirkpatrick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, they both 
both of those people met in that summer relationship on the island. Both Timmerman. Oh, okay. And uh, Glenna. Uh, what is it? It's Gail and or Gay and Gay. Yeah, Gay yeah. and uh, and John. And Don and Glenna Timmerman. They would be interesting. You know, another one would be Bruce Almo. He doesn't live on the island anymore, but he, he grew up like on the yet. island. And he could tell you stories about his father. Now, if he told you stories about his father, Bru- uh, father uh, John Almo, that would, those would be stories. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce would be hard to get to because he works at But along that line, uh, old uh, Donnie Watkins can Don't, probably tell a lot because absolutely. his dad put in about every septic system absolutely. there was in the, back absolutely. here in the 30s and 40s. There's Dwayne Colby. Dwayne Colby had a marvelous career in the Navy and, uh, and uh, you know, is, is a, by, by, by Jim's standard, a, a recent newcomer. But, uh, um, but, he, but Dwayne would be interesting, as would, Dean, as would um, John Dean, of course. I'm Bill, just writing all his names down. Yeah, Bill Keller is from my era, and Bill started coming up. They had a summer place over there by the uh, Yacht Club boat mm-hmm. launch, right on the water there uh, in the real early 50s. And okay. he, he came up all the time, and then he moved up here permanently in 57. So there's a guy to give you a perspective about that west side Madrona area uh, all during the summer and everything else. There's Teresa Garrison who grew up on the beach, and she would oh, yeah. be interesting. She could tell you a lot of stories. Yeah, you bet. All right. Jack Gunther. Yeah, yeah, he's on my list. Yeah, he's kind of shy, you know, he yeah. might not say anything. Then the other thing is, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Dan Leon was born and raised in Stanwood and then spent his whole life here on Camino Island. But Dan knows a lot of the family people around here in the Stanwood and the Camino, the old, old family areas and when stuff got going. Okay, very cool. Thank Absolutely. you. I'll be reaching out to figure out how to get hold of these people. Yeah. All right, and lastly, if you guys could have a billboard on Camano Island right as you're driving on the island, what would that say? I, I, I think it should say Jim Joyce lives here. Right. <laughs> I, think, I think that would be really nice and inviting. You know, I put some thought about it just because of what he and I have talked about and everything else and what we see. And I think I would say... Um, Think about what you change before you change it. Because once it's gone, it's gone. And there's Mm. a lot of stuff that, you know, why did we do that? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes, well, the things that we remember that are so valuable and so colorful and living in our memory are gone. Yeah. Some of it are people, but some of it are places and, and... and, and attitudes and, and that kind of thing. And, yeah. and one I'll really give credit to, because working on that Veterans Memorial in Stanwood, uh, and I got to know Richard and Robin Hanks real well. They run the, they're the president and of the Historical Society. And they've only been up here four or five years. But they have gotten so entrenched in pulling up all that history of this area and everything, along with Bill Blanding. And, and it's amazing how much they know about how Stanwood got started and how the other things and then what took place out here on the island and stuff. So uh, it, it's almost embarrassing when I look back and think, golly, they've only been here four or five years, <laughs> and they know light years ahead of the stuff where 
what I've ever learned. And and when they start talking about, don't you remember that was there? Well, oh, another guy. Uh, uh, oh, come on now. Uh, you go like this. I know. I'm at that age. <laughs> Good golly, he was a teacher here forever, and they just named the uh, the museum after him. Dave. Uh, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, Dave. Um, oh, sure. The the, the teacher. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll have it in a minute after after he we leave. Was on the island. They moved into Stanwood. Uh, he knows he knows so much of the of the Stanwood area and everything else when we go around. He's really interesting to to talk to. Oh, I'm gonna be so bad. <laughs> That's the problem when you get to be our age. <laughs> I do this all the time anyway, so it's I I don't know what I'll do when I'm older. <laughs> All right. Well, when you guys think of it, we will. I'll, I'll edit it in, or I'll put it in the show notes or something. Absolutely. Um, but guys, thank you so much for coming out today. Um, people can't see this obviously, but it was a snowstorm for you guys to get here and make this happen. So I'm so glad you guys made it out here. Well, it was a hardship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm in the south. Like the old days. We, we, we're still in hot hardship down there in the yeah. south end compared to you guys. In That's the north. true. I was going to pedal my bicycle. You have, you have you a know, lot. Of, thank you. Got a lot. You, a lot of thanks to Splendy or whatever the name of that company was because until they came through and cleared a lot of the trees back away from the power lines and the limbs off, every time the wind would go, you'd lose your power. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and we, we got so that we liked that too, by the way. That was kind of funny. We had the traditional kerosene lanterns and the kids the kids didn't mind it. Everybody had their flashlights. And they, yep. anyway. We always thought it was kind of fun. Yeah. Was something fun yeah. as a kid. Like it's something yeah. different. The TV's exactly. off. It's quiet. And you guys just have to hang out. We would play card games and stuff. It yeah. was fun. So. Golly, I feel so stupid. I can't remember. I'm going to have it here. Danubio. No. No. Danubio was a teacher, but no, this guy. Well, it was a Dave Danubio, right? <laughs> yeah. And he was a school teacher. Yeah. yeah. How many, those are the hints you gave me. But he's a, he's a, oh, uh, golly. I can't help you then. Because <laughs> see, a, I was off on the Danubio side. He's the brain power of the historical site for a year. He is to the historical society what Jeannie Ovenall used to be to the food bank. If you want to know anything, they had it right oh, there yeah. in their brain. Do you remember that gal that used to have the Grange at the south end of the island that used to come around to the <clears> beaches <throat> and teach the kids artificial respiration? Big, big, big no, gal. I don't remember that one. Um, Joy Church. But I do remember we came back. We hadn't been here a year or two. For some reason, there was something going on at the Grange. And I walked in the Grange, you know, and I... Good God, we used to roller skate in this little place. I mean, it's so tiny. And I can remember being on the tail end of that whip being whipped around there and thinking that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Is thank it, are we still live? Yeah, we're still oh, live. Because we're, <laughs> oh, this is the off record drop that you're in trouble with. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, thank you guys. And um, Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Vince and Jim for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And for more information on this episode or previous episodes, go to kamenocommons.com slash podcast. That's kamenocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.